Hello, it's Deep Focus. This is part three of three parts of a program from January of 2013. William Hooker is my guest in the studio. We're talking about Elvin Jones. Ah, man, when you get uh, right into it, I'll just say if you didn't check out parts one and part two, eh, you could just jump in here, but uh, I think you're going to want to hear parts one and two. So before or after. Okay, here we go. Steep focus. Thank you. 
Elvin Jones in Berlin, 1968, and that uh, was with, recorded with Joe Farrell on tenor and soprano saxophone, Jimmy Garrison on the bass, a live recording from the KCR archives for tonight's program, Deep Focus, with our guest William Hooker, performing Wednesday at the Knitting Factory, and uh, that was something you were... You responded to. You were very. You know why I responded, Mitch? Because because uh, quiet as it's kept. Yes. Right. And my wife just reminded me. Do you realize you've won all these dance contests throughout the course of your life? Mm. I'm. I love to dance. Ah. And every time that I hear a uh, a Mitch Golden, every time I <laughs> every time I hear. And Elvin Jones, where Elvin takes me into this place of the dance of the, um, it seems like, like I don't know, like uh, that, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid to put the genre to it, but it, it's- I think hap- I know where you're going. Yeah, okay. yeah, it, it, it has a dance feel. Yeah. And I love that because that happened a couple of times, like I was saying, it happened in- uh, wise one mm. happened in part of Love Supreme. Mm. Happened. It happens a lot in Elvin's um, trio work mm. 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 because he he it, and, and the thing that he does so efficiently and so great. He takes me from that dance, moving my body, feeling 
which is really basically where I come from. Mm. Some people just take it from their head. That's fine. That's if you if that's where you operate from, good. But me, like I operate from like my body in a great in a great to a great extent. Like what that's the reason why a lot of times I like funk music or like a lot of times I like, you know, you know, um, Brazilian music or whatever you want to call it. Well, even people forget that, you know, a lot of classical music originated as dance music. Really? You know? Yeah, I think it's... I couldn't dance to it. I'm talking about what I danced to. Well, but... Then... <laughs> go on. Go on. You go on. Go right no, on. No, no, I'm saying... No, 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 I'm saying so like when he can, gets into yeah. that thing, when he gets into that thing using the bell... Mm, yes. The bell and, of the symbol. Yes. In the center of the symbol, yes. Because what I see, and our friend here noticed... What time signature is it? It's interesting because the time signature of a straight-ahead piece can be broken up into an Afrocentric beat. It's the same time signature. It's just the way that you play it. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, if you go, how can I explain it? You just have to listen to more Elvin. You have to listen to more Elvin or well, there's people a, there's that a do poly- this. Polyrhythms. He used a lot of like kind of three over four and right. Doesn't he? He kind of uh, right. But this is straight up. This yeah. is straight up like dance. Yeah. When, now, when you get some... into that ding 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 ding. Like for example, um, there are, there are a lot of uh, people in Haiti, for example, or Caribbean. They may use they may use just a cowbell, you know, just playing just straight cowbell, what they call a ogun. And then if they play that, and then underneath it, they have maybe like two or three drummers. One with two drums, one with uh, three drums. So one is really conversing with you, and the other one is just providing the, the, the mm. bottom, you know, the bottom. And then the other just has that, that cowbell yeah. thing going on. So the thing that I love and found very appealing about Elvin's work is he's not afraid to throw that out there in terms of this is the way I flow. This mm-hmm. is the way we flow. That's it. I'm not going to namby-pamby it. I'm just going to play it, and I'm going to cook with it. And then, and then he gets into, after he gets out of the head, which he does quite often because maybe that's the arrangement of the tune, he'll go right into straight, right into straight, straight ahead. Mm. And, he, and, he know, and he's right on it. Yeah. You know, and that's that's what really I love about playing with such force number 1 because you play with authority. Like mm. you're not just sitting there like hey, hey, hey. Right, no. right, waiting for something to happen. Uh, no. Hey, hey, hey. That's not waiting for something <laughs> to happen. That's waiting to get slapped. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what are you thinking, bitch? Um, well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm on first look Somebody could think of this band as almost a Coltrane ghost band. Because here it is, Coltrane just died a year ago. Suddenly and shockingly, I think, to, to the music world, music-loving world. Yes. And here's guy perceived as Coltrane's drummer, even though he hadn't been in the band for the last year See, or so. That's, that's a bad thing. With Coltrane's <laughs> bass player. Go on. Though he had also moved on before the end. That but, could be a bad thing, though. But go on. And the saxophonist, who is... Obviously, under the shadow of Coltrane. I mean, okay. heavily influenced his sound and approach. Yeah. But uh, if you really listen, especially having just listened to 63 Birdland, yeah. 
it's not really that at all. There's really a whole bunch of other things going on, a whole bunch of other language developing here. And uh, what do you think about that? I think that I think I think that in terms of the ghost thing, I don't I don't perceive it that way. I I, I see one thing that has happened in terms of that. What was the other one? Sixty three. Yeah. And this is sixty eight. Yeah. His drum set is louder. Mm. Number one. Mm. His drum set is um, more varied. Number two, mm. uh, which which changes the sound for a trio as opposed to a quartet. I think that later on, probably some of the things that came out, like um, Ohm mm-hmm. or something like that, maybe. But but if you're an engineer, usually they compress the drums because it's just too loud for them. But well, his playing is different too, though, right? Uh, I don't think so. I think that he's playing the same. It's just that he said he said to himself, from what I'm hearing in the music, something that he encouraged me to do. Please, you're the engineer. Put the drums up front. Mm, mm. This is my band. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. This is my band. And he would do physically. The drums would be downstage. Sure. Yeah. You know. And and so him saying that. Yeah. All of a sudden he changes. He changes the sound. Yeah. And that's a trio. And for and, and for my money, I'll tell you, he's got he's got. That's I mean Jimmy Garrison is kicking some butt. He's so full. It's just like, you know, it's just such a beautiful trio. That's why at that point I was just I was just a, I was just a, a devotee at that point mm-hmm. from what I was hearing from Elvin. The things he was coming out with, this with Genesis and everything else. I want to hear some of that other stuff too. Yeah. I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you something funny that uh, I, I said uh-huh. I did a little bit of business with Elvin and Keiko. What I did, I brought them up to, before I went to college here at Columbia University, I was up in... Binghamton, SUNY Binghamton, a marvelous institution. You didn't yeah. know that? Yeah. And I I actually I ran a jazz concert series up there and that I brought uh, we brought Sonny Stitt up there and that's where I met Shannon Jackson and those guys and tons of great music. Yeah. Tons, tons, tons of great concerts. And uh-huh, regular thing we had going, Papa Joe Jones Uh-oh. and all kinds of monster musicians. And um, it was a big effort to get Elvin up there. We had him booked and they canceled almost at the last minute, which uh, if it was almost anybody else, I think I might not have bothered trying to rebook it. But we rebooked it, and we got them set, and they came. And they, it was a tremendous band. Great show. That's the day I met Jean-Paul Borelli was playing with them. Great, great. That's the band I heard. Jazz Machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the band I heard. So we had them in a big room. A big, huge yeah. capacity, like 700 wow. people. Yeah. Big, barn-like that was a great social band. room. Social yeah. Room. And... Uh, you know, we had a had an audio guy, had all his mics. He's all set, very excited about this. And uh, Keiko walks in, she sets up the drums, and she was teeny. And I said, uh, you know, she's talking to the sound guy, and he's saying, you know, like, how are we going to mic this, the snare drum, do the kick drum, da 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 da. And she looks around the room. She looks at this huge room. She goes, in this room, he goes two mics, one here, one here, in front, left and right. That was it. That was all she <laughs> wanted to mic the drums. So, uh, uh, you know, what to her, this was like he barely so. needed any reinforcement to play a room, even a room this big was her so. feeling, which was kind of surprising to me at the well, time. That, I don't think I ever told anybody about that. No, yeah. Well, I don't know. Each, each time you go to play, as you know, it's different. But um, you're, being in, you're being a witness to that band with John Paul 
is really incredible because that's when I met him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. During that period. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and, I mean, what can I say? Elvin took him under his wing and made him a great guitarist. Yes. And um, I just, I just love the way he transitioned from the quartet into, uh, well, uh, it was due to passing, I guess, or a lot of people weren't around, and then to his trio work. And it was the trio work that really like set my soul on fire, because I it, that drumming was is so clear to me, and it is so profound, and and I can hear every roll, I can hear every cross stick, I can hear every I you know I can hear this, and I can hear a lot of the hi hat as well. There, that's what I was thinking sounded different to me from yeah. between sixty three to sixty eight. Uh, and and probably the things that you got in there, if we can if we ever get a chance and we will, to hear the mallet work. Yeah. Then you can understand the, the the precision and the beauty from which he did play mallets separate from which is beautiful and it's spiritual also, the fourth piece of Love Supreme. Fine. It's beautiful. But some of the stuff that Elvin played with mallets on drums as a drummer, it's astounding. It's mm. astounding. Seriously. So those things all inspired me. They really did. And uh, this, this, uh, this evening, Mitch, is gonna, it has really in, it inspired me to keep investigating, investigating this giant. Me too. You know, really, it, really, it really is something for me. There's more space in the trio too. There's yeah. just uh, yeah, you can hear it, and, and, and I love the way the three of these guys in particular. And this is another bit of a difference, and a reason it's not a ghost band. Uh, and I didn't mean that in a denigrating way. No, I, I mean I got you though. But uh, the way that they arrange the music around one another, and uh, there's a real elegance to that, and a room for everybody to to hear each instrument. He knew what he was doing. To hear each he, note. Knew, yeah. he knew what he was doing. What's the fourth piece you've got there? Ah, well, you know what? We're we're just about hitting the wall, man. All right, three I'm, hours I'm, went by like that. I'm curious. I'm curious. <laughs> Should we play one and come back and say our little fairly well? Should we I, play that? Uh, you want to hear Gingerbread Boy? That's uh, that's a four minutes. You want to hear Gingerbread that one? Boy? Like that one? That one? I think so. I think so. All right, fine. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Why, Why not? not? Why not? Why All right, not? you're listening to WKCR. William Hooker's the guest. He is performing at the Knitting Factory on Wednesday night, night after tomorrow night, Knitting Factory in Brooklyn. You should make your way there. And we are exploring and loving the music of Elvin Jones. We're listening to a live recording at the Berlin Jazz Festival 1968 trio with Joe Farrell on tenor saxophone and soprano and Jimmy Garrison on the bass, Elvin Jones on the drums. From the WKCR archives, I'm Mitch Goldman.
Jordan. Yeah. yeah. Elvin Jones. They are mixed. They Joe really Farrell. They are, yeah. You know, I, this was in the Philharmonia in Berlin, the grand concert hall of the, where the Philharmonic played. That's where this trio was? This, yeah, yeah, this recording. I think uh, perhaps maybe Herbert von Karajan was, uh, was he the, uh, no, he was Berlin? Anyway, um, live recording, fantastic live recording from the Berlin Jazz Festival 1968. And uh, that, I hate to say it, man. I hate to say it. I mean, there's all kinds of great things coming up here in 89.9, but we're yeah. running out of time for our uh, yeah. deep focus. It's been a great evening, and uh, you really know how to have a good party. You really and know how to throw a party. You're, I'm glad. You're, you're, you brought the you, you brought the rhythm. I was man. telling you, man. You started my you started my year off right. <laughs> good. Wow, this is some cre- incredible stuff. Thank you. Mitch for inviting oh, me. Oh man, up. thank you. William Hooker is playing Wednesday night at the Knitting Factory with a cavalcade of a dozen and a half brilliant artists. And uh, go to knittingfactory.com for all the details and directions in Brooklyn, how to get there. Uh, Next week at this time, I'm doing another show that you might enjoy listening to. My guest, this is the first time I'm announcing this, Billy Cobham is going to be here, and we're going to be doing a deep focus on the music of Tony Williams. So another drummer-on-drummer radio show. So... uh, if you care to tune in, I'll share that with the listeners. I'm excited about having Billy Cobham here for the first time since That's I don't interesting. know. That's ever. interesting. That's interesting. I think that the interesting thing for me about that is Elvin was that branch of the tree that opened the door to Milford Graves, Sonny Murray, um, Andrew Sorrell. Mm-hmm those people and that's where I am um Elvin 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 Jones has a presence in the music that is it's it it cannot be said enough how great he is or was in his music is it cannot be said enough the relationship that he has to the entire diaspora and the entire diversity of the music. Thank you, Mitch, for inviting me. William, thank you, man. You turned me out to some stuff tonight. I've never had more fun doing a radio show. You're you're a great guest. I love it. This is some fun, man. This is some nice stuff. (laughs) This has been Deep Focus. William Hooker playing Knitting Factory Wednesday. I'm Mitch Goldman. Keep it tuned right here for Youth Mike on WKCR-FM New York. (laughs) Boom.